My name is Ali Ramsey. Our scripture reading today is found in John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. After Judas had gone out into the night, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I've been reading uh, through the John 13 to 17 over and over again. Uh, visitors uh, who are here as a church, we're going through those chapters. There, there are five chapters focused on the last day of Jesus. In his last day, before he went to the cross, he spent time with his disciples. And we have five chapters recorded of what he had to say about how we are to live while he is away physically from us. They are some of the most profound and practical, very personal uh, passages of God's Word that you'll find. They're wonderful, and I hope you'll be here uh, often. Now, as I came to this week's text, uh, John 13, 31 to 35, I was reading it through, and I had this sort of flashback uh, to my junior high years. Now, that was a long time ago. So I got to tell, I was, when I was in the seventh grade, we had moved from one town to another, and you know, you hope you can find a way to fit in. And uh, as I got there, I wanted to make the basketball team. Uh, because I was a West Virginian. I mean, West Virginian, Jerry West, I was a big fan. I tried to cut my hair like he did. I tried to shoot like he did. I really wanted to make the basketball team. So I remember when the coach came in, he met with uh, the, the students and their parents and went over all these things about what it was going to cost, what you had to do if you're going to be on the team. And I think we, we started, started to zone out. Uh, just a little bit, like none of you ever do when I'm speaking, I know. And uh, until he got to this one point where he said, now listen up, <clears throat> listen up. If you're going to make this team at all, these are the things you're going to have to know and do. And I'm telling you, every one of us, we just sat forward and we really uh, listened up. And I'll tell you, when I tried out that day, everything he said in that, in that sentence, I tried to do it every minute of the tryout. And I did make the team. Um, I think everybody did, but still, but still. Uh, now, I find our text this week is a lot like that. Uh, Jesus, on this last day, gathers in that upper room with his disciples, and he begins by saying that, that I love you. I focus my love on you, my followers, and I will love you to the end. Verse 1, and then in verses 2 to 17, he, he demonstrates it to us. What is it like? I will become even a slave for you. I'm, I'm willing to wash your feet, serve you in any way that, that shows my love for you, and it pointing toward the time that he would become the ultimate slave for us, dying on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. Uh, hallelujah. Then we had that episode that we saw last week where he continued to love Judas, but Judas walked out into the night. 
And that brings us to this week's text where Jesus turns to them and he says, you're soon, verses 31 and 32, you're soon going to see the glory of God in me and through me as you have never seen it. You're going to see both the love and justice of God. You're going to see the mercy, but then the power of God pointing to what's going to happen with him going to the cross and then the resurrection. But he said, for that to happen, for a while I must leave you, and you cannot come where I am going now. So now he said, listen up. Uh, If you're going to get anything, you've got to get this. If you're going to be my followers, you've got to grab hold of this thing. What does he say? What does he say? I hope you can find yourself sitting forward on your seat. This is what he says. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the way the world is going to know that you are my followers. If you love one another. Now these are well-known verses, aren't they? I have heard so many sermons from these verses, but I am telling you, anytime you look at this as a pastor or as a people, uh, there are two big, big questions that you've got. You don't even understand what Jesus is getting at until these two questions are answered. So I've got to start with that. Uh, The two questions are, what's new and what's love? What's new and what's love? Because, do you see, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. And yet, everybody knows that long before Jesus said this in the upper room, many, many people had given commandments to love. In fact, before Jesus even gave this one, he had said, do you remember he said that all of the laws in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, they're summarized with two. Love God, love people, love anybody he brings across your path. And now he comes, the same Jesus later, and he says, now, and these disciples had already heard that, has said, now a new commandment I get, give to you. What, what's new about this? We've got to grasp this or we don't know what, what he's asking of us. And I, I've jotted some things down for you just to think about. First, I think one of the things new is the focus or the objects of our love. Jesus is turning specifically to those disciples who are following him, and he's calling here all people who place their faith in Jesus to have a special family-like love for other members of the family, for other followers of Jesus. It's, It's not unlike what I talked about the first week in this series, that God loves all the people of the world more than we could love them or they could love themselves. God loves all the people of the world. But Jesus makes it clear that there is a special focused love on those who turn from our own ways and sins and give our lives to Him and become His followers. Do you remember, I likened that to my own family. My father loved all people. And yet I knew that he had a special focused love on me. I just knew this. And if you can grasp that, which I think all of us can, that's what he's talking about here. He is saying, now, I've got to give you a new command. There are going to be some tough times in this world. There are going to be a lot of people who reject me and reject you. You must love one another. So a new focus is a part of what is new here. What else is new? I think the one another's we're to love, that, that, that's new too. The, those we are to love are to be all the members of the family of God. And that includes a pretty broad range of people. People from any age, any ethnicity or skin color, 
any background, any amount of failures, any kind of any you want to put in there, any people who place their faith in Jesus enter into the family of God, know God is their father, and, and we as their brothers and sisters are to have this special love. It, it's, it's what I have called my seven and a half years here, God's unexpected family. It's not unexpected to God, it was his eternal plan. But the people, those of us who follow Jesus, when people see us, they, they should say, what on earth is that bunch doing together? Uh, the rest of the world just looks like perhaps a social club. If you like tennis, you're going to be in a tennis club. But a church is anybody who comes to Jesus is made a part of the family. So the, there are a lot of one another's in these one another's. Just, just mark it down. It becomes quite a challenge. So what's new is the object of our love being specifically to the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, that anybody who responds to Jesus should enter in and be lavished with the love of God's people. And then the biggest thing that's new is that Jesus lays out here the standard or the definition of love. The way we have to love is just as Jesus loved us. Well, that's going to be the sermon today when I get to that. that just to let you know, because we've got to think about how did he love us and then how he moves that thing over to say that's how you should love one another at Lake Avenue Church. But before we can get there, I've got to ask the question what love is. Because I'm telling you, the way that Jesus is commanding us to love is not generally the way that our culture or any culture has thought about love. Everybody knows that love is is, is a great thing. But uh, the way that I've sometimes heard this preached is someone will take out uh, a, a dictionary and say, well, this is what love means. And that's how we're supposed to love. And dictionaries, what they do is they try to capture how a culture or a society understands that word. And they do a good... You know what I did? You already know. I went and got a dictionary. Well, I went online to get a dictionary. And I found the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And uh, the two main definitions, number one as a noun, is this. Love is an intense feeling of deep affection. I, I think that that's the way I often hear love used, and I use that word that way. Or as a verb... I think it captures that even better. To feel a deep affection for a romantic or sexual attraction to something or someone. So when, when you read the dictionary, what it captures, I think rightly so, is our culture's main definition of love being something uh, that we experience. A, a very pleasurable, affection-filled uh, experience. And, and you can find that in almost all the music. I can't tell you how many songs about love have been popping into my head all week. I even put one as the sermon title. Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? Uh, Jeremy, maybe I'll have him come up here and sing that for us someday. And uh, I, I also, I thought, I've got to get younger than that. So I went on and I, I, I knew of Taylor Swift writing Love Story. So I went on and got the, the I'm looking over the college students for some reason. I don't know why I'm looking over this way. But I went on and looked at that thing. And it is really a, a great description of that kind of romantic love, like Romeo and Juliet. So I think that the dictionary has sort of gotten this thing right, that the culture thinks of it primarily as being in our affections and, and, and in our emotions. Now, uh, in reading what some brain scientists are saying in our world, some argue that that kind of pleasurable experience, that emotional experience, is something that is, they call a dopamine experience. Uh, a, a neurochemical, that when that neurochemical is released, it, it supposedly gives us a real sense of pleasure. 
And so many scientists will, will argue, because they think emotions also just have to be chemical, many will argue that uh, the, the pleasure that we feel, uh, whether that's sexual pleasure or whether that's the thrill you get when, you're, when your sports team wins the event or even when you eat a bar of chocolate, uh, that, that it's all really the same thing. And that that then becomes almost the understanding that many people have about what love is. It's a neurochemical experience. It's a a dopamine rush uh, that it comes and goes. Now, just think about that. If that's what love is, and love, everyone's trying to declare that, that... all you need is love. See all the songs that pop into my head, John Lennon's song there. Um, then if you have that rush and you say, that's love, then when that rush doesn't, you don't have it, then you might break the relationship. I, listen to me, brothers and sisters. This understanding of love being more like a dopamine rush has, I think, destroyed more lasting relationships than anything I can think of. Uh, I I can't even tell you how many times I as a pastor have had someone come in and say something like this. Pastor, I used to feel this for my wife and it was so great. But I don't feel that anymore so I must not love her anymore. And since love is to be the heart of the relationship, it's better for her and it's better for us if I just get out of this relationship. And I do feel this now about somebody else. You You know how it goes. So it ends up that no lasting relationship can work through the difficulties that come in every relationship in this world. And that means there can be almost no lasting relationships, whether in a marriage or in a friendship or in a church. In a a church, if we have that understanding of love, you come to church and one day, oh, the worship was so fantastic. Oh, Dwayne, I was lifted to heaven. But next week you don't feel that anymore. Well, I better find a new church. And you know that that's how many of us think. Well, let me tell you the Bible's understanding and Jesus' understanding when he tells us, love one another. I'm going to be gone. You've got to love one another. He's meaning something that's a bit different from that. So what do I want you to think about when you think about love, biblically? Well, the first work that I think that stands at the foundation of it that I want you to hold on to is the word commitment. Commitment. A commitment to give sacrificially and to stay sacrificially with the person that you love. You see, in in the Bible, I'd love to trace this through for you, but in the Bible, when it begins talking about loving relationships of God toward us, really the first place you see it is in Genesis 12. It's, It's where God calls a man named Abraham, and he makes a commitment of love to Abraham and to all of his descendants, which includes us through Jesus, because Jesus came through that line. To all of his descendants, I will love you. And the word, and it's a good word to know if you don't know any other Hebrew word, is hesed, hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it means a covenantal commitment to walk with, to guide, to bless, and even to bless those who bless you. You, You'll be a blessing to all. And so when you think about Biblical love, you, you, you've got to think about that kind of commitment. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm not going to be here physically. But what you're going to need and what you've got to be is a, is a body of people committed to one another and whatever happens in this world. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? it? sounds beautiful. Until you come to church and you're sitting next to this guy who has the opposite political views from you. And he's so belligerent about his views, I would never be. And then you say, I'm going to go move somewhere else or go somewhere else. Until you come to church and you have somebody who's maybe much younger or much older. And they like this style of stuff. And, and you, I have to give up my privileges to them. It, it's hard. 
So we're going to talk about it. So when Jesus says, a new command I give to you, Lake Avenue Church, you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you love one another. What is he talking about? He's talking about a commitment. Now, I, I was able to get into contact with a good friend of mine, Scott McKnight. And some of you I know read a lot of Scott McKnight's wonderful things. Uh, so he and I, he has a new book coming out. I love the title. It's called The Fellowship of Difference. And by difference, he spells it D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S. Difference. I really like it. The fellowship of all these different... That's us. Very different kind of people. And he says that what we have to do is be bound together by the kind of love Jesus calls us to have. And he said there are three pronouns he uses to describe it. So I've just jumped piggyback on him, changed one of his pronouns, so he'll probably yell at me. But that's okay. Um, so what is this biblical... If, if we're going to obey what Jesus commands us to obey, what does it mean? Loving it as Jesus loved first is a commitment to be with, to be with those we love. Uh, I don't know if all of you were here for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, I talked about this. It's been so much on my mind and my heart. I called my talk my, that night, The Power of With, because if, if some of you remember, I had just gone back to be with my father and when I walked into the uh, intensive care room, uh, he said, Greg, in my 92 years, this is the first time I don't think I'm going to live through this one. Um, so I stayed a couple of days. And then, you remember, I had to come back here to be with you uh, for the services, Christmas Eve services. And, and what I thought of is in that last day, what my dad said, his last words to me, uh, he said this. He said, um, Greg, uh, these days have been precious for me. Uh, it has been wonderful to be with you. Now, um, if you had been with us during those days I was with him, words like uh, uh, precious and wonderful, those would not have been the words you would have thought of. Because my dad was in constant pain. Um, he could hardly breathe. He couldn't keep any food down. And yet I knew he was sincere when he said, Greg, these days were precious and wonderful. And you know why, already, you know why? It was because of that little, those two little words, with you. That even the worst kind, pain can become precious. Woe can become wonderful when you're with somebody that you love. And it was for me too, wonderful to be with him. It's what I called the power of with. Now, when you read the Bible and you see how God loves you, one of the ways that God's love is always shown is God's commitment to make sure you know that He is with you. That He is with you. Um, it starts in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. When, when everything was right and people hadn't walked away with, from God, it says God was with us. He, he lived among us. He walked with His people. When people walked away and got themselves into slavery and God was going to rescue them out, they were going to go through a difficult wilderness, through a desert area. But God wanted them to know that they weren't alone. He loved them. He was with them. And He made sure they knew it. You know the story, don't you? A pillar of fire at night. A cloud by day, I am with you. Uh, then, of course, he, he had them build this sort of temporary tent called a tabernacle. That when they uh, saw... Uh, that tabernacle. They knew that the eternal God was tabernacling. He was with them. 
And later a temple was built. Not because God needed the temple. The whole earth is where he lives. But when they saw it, they knew that God was with them. And then, of course, the powerful thing happened was when Jesus was born. Uh, John, who wrote the text that we're looking at today, if you pull back to John chapter 1, he said, um, through the word, Jesus, everything was created. And then you just find him getting excited. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt with us. Then almost with this excitement, you see John saying, we saw him. We saw the glory of the one and only Son of God, full of grace and truth. It is God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so when when you think about God's love for you, one one of the first things you have to see, and Dwayne, actually some of the music you and Jeremy pointed out, picked out today, was reminding us of God constantly saying, the Lord is with you, the Lord is with you, and he will never leave you alone. Now this is the kind of thing I want you to grab because I don't think love can be love without presence. Love cannot be love without you being with the people you love. And one of the things I've experienced in my many years is the more that I make that commitment to be with people, that loving commitment, the more the affection part of that grows. And here we see this kind of love is commanded of us all. And here I've got to say, often when uh, a sermon like this is preached, immediately we apply it to our marriage relationships, and so we should. So we should. A real love in a marriage relationship, a part of that kind of love is that commitment. I'm going to be with you. It provides security, doesn't it? I'm going to be with you. You can be secure in that, even though I know neither one of us is perfect. We're just not going to give up on one another. It's it's there, but it's not just there. I want to make sure you know that it's true of our friendships and it's supposed to be true of the church. So he's commanding us to love as he loved. And I think a big part of that is our commitment to be with one another. What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, the first thing is, uh, you're here, so I hardly even have to preach to you. Uh, uh, So I'm not going to yell at you about this one. The most basic way of us being with one another is is us worshiping together. And as Hebrews says, not forsaking, coming together with with the entire, all the one another's. Uh, This is why we are so committed to wanting to find regular times where even the children and, and sometimes the students who don't always come will be here because we need to be with one another what kind of family is it if we're never with each other Uh, and I'm not going to yell at you but there may be some people who who just don't want to be with all the one another's in the in the church they they say well I'd rather be with my own age group or people that I so we're not going to come but let them know this you're not even obeying the most basic command of Jesus love one another and a part of that is this commitment to be with each other so I won't yell at them but you can go and yell at them all you want and and tell them come in and we're going to love them we're going to just really love them because I tell you we need this when stormy times come and they come they come to churches too we've been here 120 years and we've had a lot of stormy weather because we've had a lot of human beings in this church but one of the things that is so beautiful is just how many people have continued to say I see it. Uh, He has called me to this family. I'm going to be with my people. We learn from one another. We grow with one another. 
but a part of the love that Jesus commands us to when he says, love just as I have loved, is a commandment to be with. What else? Second, it is also, this love of Jesus for us, is a commitment to be for, to be for us. I tell you, I am so profoundly touched by verse 33, the way that Jesus uh, addresses people who follow him. He, he calls us little children. The way that John puts it up to now, it's, it's so wonderful. John chapter 1, Jesus is the creator. Uh, John chapter 3, in the great verses, he is the savior. He's the rescuer. Uh, even in verses uh, 13 and 14 of John 13, he is our Lord and master. And he is all of those things. But I'll tell you, when he gets to this part, it becomes so personal. Uh, little children. And then when he gets to chapters 15 and beyond, it is my friends. I'll call you my friends. And one of the beautiful things about that kind of language is you always know that that person is for you. You know what I mean? Is always wanting the best for you, will always advocate for you. And that's what God does. He's the one who advocates for us. I love Romans chapter 8 because sometimes I wonder how on earth do I really know that my eternal standing is all right with God because I know myself. And then I read Romans 8 and you see this incredible promise. Here's God's promise to you that through the power of God's spirit, through his work, the way you are now is not the way you're always going to be. Someday you're going to be glorified. That's what he says to us. And by that, he means you and I are going to be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. I tell you, I look at that image that looks in me in the mirror and I think God's got a lot of work to do. And, and sometimes I have a lot of doubts about that. And we can even say that about one another. And then I I come back to what Paul says about that. He says, but it's God who is the judge and and Jesus who died for us. So he says this, if God is for us, for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so as we walk through this thing, he says, listen, even though everything else may try to make you doubt that or say something will separate you from God, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because God is for you. So now we see that God is for us and we just bask in that. But then we hear Jesus say, okay, that's what your love for one another at Lake Avenue Church is to be like. We are to be a, a community of people where we are for one another. Have you ever had a friendship where if you're with a, a circle of people and they're talking about stuff and you have to leave for a while and then you walk back in to that circle, you know that you're in a better place because that friend has been for you, has said good things about you. If, anybody experienced that? If you haven't, oh, it's just so encouraging and so supportive. Have you ever had the opposite happen? You walk away for a while and then you walk back in and as you walk back in, you know that you have been the center of the discussion and it hasn't been all that good. Uh, you have to try to re- re-win some things here. Uh, listen, do you see what Jesus is saying that his church is to be? We're to be a place where we're for one another. Where we want the best for one another. That, that may sometimes mean we have to speak some hard things, but it's always because we're for one another. We're, we're wanting 
to grow together without arrogance, without pride. And I'll tell you, the whole world, this, this is a part of what Jesus is getting at. When the world sees this, they're going to love it, they're going to want it, because everybody in this world, it is so hard, isn't it, when we just feel like, do I have anybody I trust, anybody who is for me? That's what we're to be. Now, I know, I'm looking out here, I know the idealism with which I preach right now. The very thought that a church like ours can be a place where we become a body of people for one another. As I thought about preaching this to you, I just thought about the many, the many of you who would surely say, but Pastor Greg, I've experienced the opposite so many times in a church. I've come in and the gossip has just been terribly destructive of my family. The cliques that are there excluding have been terribly the abuse that is there so what on earth am I talking about well where there is abuse as I've told you uh, don't go into that situation but you need to have your church family go and confront that situation on your behalf Uh, where it's gossiping clicks the other kind of ways of speaking and doing things that tear down on on behalf of our church where that's happened here I, I repent ask for your forgiveness, but I, I, at the same time I, ask, I, I want to remind you that the Jesus who loves was the very one who always forgave and, and, and invites people back in and, and asks us to restore one another. So, so we have this text. Jesus who loved those that he washed the feet of. And he washed Judas' feet. Even when he knew Jesus was going to betray him, he offered him, do you remember last week that bread a new beginning, a deeper relationship. And he didn't want it, he went out into the night. So we might think, oh, good. Now they'll be perfect. That Judas is gone, it's going to be perfect. But re- wait till you get to the next sermon I preach from this. Peter messes up, he denies the Lord. Uh, uh, Thomas is a doubter. We don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? <laughs> Philip just had this bizarre sort of thing. We'll, we'll get to all of that. And yet what we find in Jesus is... Uh, that he's willing to go and confront, forgive, welcome back, and be for them again. And, and until he's done with all of us as imperfect human beings, he wants us to be that kind of community. And, and, and as hard as that seems like it will be, he promises he will not leave us, he'll give us the Holy Spirit who can help us to become that. So this is the new, listen up here, he says, a new command I give you. You've got to love just as I loved you, and that means you've got to be with one another. Count on one another. You've got to be for one another. The whole world is going to long for it if they see it. And then the final one is that we've got to serve toward each one of us becoming Christ-like. Um, so the, the, the preposition I want to use is for. Now when I read through um, the way Jesus loved one of the things became very clear to me, and that was his love, what he did, his loving acts, were always purposeful. He did the things that he thought would further people's understanding of God, further their own walk with him. Uh, Where do I see that? I'll just show you one of the most unexpected places, but I find it to be so clear and so powerful. In John chapter 10, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends had become very sick. His name was Lazarus. um, But Jesus waited and didn't go to be with him. And finally, he had to tell his own disciples, I made a choice not to go. Why would he make a choice like that? Look look at Jesus' own words. Verses 14 and 15 of John 10. 
Jesus told his disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. He knew that these disciples had a hard time really believing. And so if if he had gone in immediately and simply done another healing as he'd done before, they would have still had all of their doubts. But knowing them, maybe even knowing Mary and Martha, the sisters, he waited, agonized over the pain, but that so they may believe he was able to demonstrate to them his power even over death. All of this is to say that the love of Jesus is always purposeful in our lives so that whenever things happen in your life that you simply cannot understand, somehow we've got to learn to know that Jesus waits, which is often hard for us, isn't it? That Jesus sometimes waits because he wants us to believe. So I've written down for you about this, this third part of loving as Jesus loved. If, if with means that the, the one who loves will be present, we can count on it, that commitment of being with, and for means that that person who loves will advocate on our behalf, then towardness means the one who loves us will always be focused on the direction of our lives. Good parents, you know what I mean by that from our children's childhood on. We've tried to make decisions that wouldn't just spoil them, but would actually further their development and growth. Our loving uh, God, our loving Savior Jesus, they make decisions out of love for us in that way, and then they turn to us, and, and, and it says, watch out for one another. Watch out for one another. And do the things that will further faith in the people in your local church. And, and that can play out in so many ways. Uh, in one way, I, I think it, it's by us becoming more like uh, spiritual mothers and fathers to one another. Um, the first church I pastored eventually, because I was so young, became a younger and younger church. Um, at, at our church, not everybody is under 30. I, I look at most of you are, I see that, but not everybody here is under 30, which is a huge blessing. Do you know how many people have experienced so many things in life in this church? And do you know how many people have walked with Jesus for many, many years? I've been a Christian over 50 years. And there are some of you who have known the Lord longer than I have. And then the Lord brings other people into our family, other one another's in. A whole lot younger, wrestling with the things that we've had to wrestle with. Beginning relationships, beginning marriages, all those things that happen in life. And he plants us into a family and says, watch out for one another. So so I call upon you to, to look for opportunities to, to love toward, love people toward Christ-likeness. It, it might be a willingness to teach our, our kids. I see uh, Pastor Mark Fields and Perry Hawkins right down here. We're in with junior hires and senior hires. They need some people who will love them toward Jesus. Don't you think? You, you want any people? Yes. I got, almost got an amen right there. The same thing is true of, of our children. The same thing is true of new believers and people who may be coming out of prisons and coming into the life of our church. How do I now live? And Jesus says, I'll give you some one another's. People who will be with you, people who will be for you, and people who will make sometimes those hard decisions to help you move toward a deepening in Christ. Uh, do you know a couple of the theme verses for your spiritual leadership, your pastors and ministry council, are Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Here they are. What we're going to do in this church is proclaim Christ. 
So that when people come alive to him, they'll be able to grow to become all they should be. But we know we have to admonish each one and teach each one with wisdom. Which is, when they're not living for Jesus, we admonish. And when they don't know how to live for Jesus, we teach. So that, why? We may present each one as fully mature, as complete in Christ. And then Paul says, it's to that end that I labor with all of the energy that God so mightily works in me. See, uh, genuine loving relationships always change you. Have you noticed that? You, you want to, to, to please the one you're with, you take on the interests of the one you're with, and as long as, long as you want to keep that thing, they, they change you for better or for worse. Uh, parents, sometimes we, we, we are so afraid of the kids our kids are hanging out with but, because we know uh, relationships change people. And what uh, Jesus is calling for is the relationship within our church family to be a, relationships that change us with that direction toward each one of us becoming like Jesus. So there it is. Jesus' love revealed in the Bible. Did I write this out for you? I wanted you to see this. Is an unrelenting commitment to be with you, to be for you, and always to be acting in ways that move you toward what he created you to be. And your love for your church family is to be just as Jesus loved. And this is not a suggestion. Jesus even says, that's how people are going to know you're Christians. So we want people to know about Jesus. And so we do a lot of things. We teach people how to witness, and that's important. Uh, We teach people how to defend the faith because we have to give an answer for what we believe. That's important. But Jesus says trumping those things or anything else, if this world is going to believe in Jesus, the most important thing is that we will love one another as he has loved us. And that is hard. Anybody agree with me there? I mean, it was hard for Jesus, even with, with his 12, how hard that was. And, and in our biological families, do you know how hard that is? I mean, how on earth are we going to get all this kind of one another's into this kind of loving fellowship? It seems impossible. You know what we need? We need the power that raised Jesus from the dead to bring this about in us. And as we are going to be seeing, that's exactly what Jesus promises to us. Today, he would simply ask us to make a renewed commitment to him and to one another. So I'll leave you with this. I just want you to picture Jesus as the greatest coach of all coaches, having taught so much, having done so much, sort of walking up to us and saying, now listen up, listen up. This is the part you can't miss if you're going to be on this team. Here's what he says. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. So a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone in the San Gabriel Valley will know that you are my disciples if you love one another.
May he continue to do that love-building work in us to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I come to you and first I thank you for what, for what we have already been seeing you doing in us. Oh Lord, uh, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that as we gather, even though when we gather, each one of us I'm sure has failed in one way or another, but we know that you're for us. Cheering us on. And we gather knowing that whatever you bring into our lives or allowed to come into our lives is to move us toward you, toward the life that you want us to have. And Father, you tell us that a huge part of all of this is that you've given us to one another and that so many times we've got to experience your love through one another. Father, we need your help. Father, where there are broken relationships in our families and even within our church body, Father, we pray that you would begin your healing, reconciling work. We lay ourselves open to you, Father, about how we might be involved in what you want to do. Because, Father, we see that the way this world will know that Jesus is real and that we belong to him is by our love for one another. Do your work in us, we pray, to your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.